Welcome to the Apostolic Review, a community of apostolic authors, bloggers, podcasters, and theologians. In today's episode, Dr. Jackson interviews author and church planner, Greg Marshall. Pastor Marshall is senior pastor of Greater Vision Ministries in Rogersville, Tennessee. Together with his wife, they started Greater Vision Ministries in 2009. He recently wrote a book entitled One More Year about their journey. He and Dr. Jackson discuss his book along with practical advice for church planners. Enjoy. Hello, Apostolic Review community. We're delighted, delighted in this episode to be joined by Pastor Greg Marshall. He is an author. He's also a church planner and minister of the gospel. Greg, it's great to have you. It's good to be here. So tell us where Rogersville is. This is where you pastor, and uh, it's probably not as famous as New York or L.A. It's somewhere <laughs> in between, I think. So where's Rogersville, and uh, what drew you to Rogersville? It's about 70 miles um, east of Knoxville. Uh, the population in the county is about 6,000, or in the town is about 6,000, and the county is more like about 60,000. And, um, I, you know, it's about 30 minutes from my hometown. And when I was a full-time evangelist, I always wondered where I would end up at. And just one day in prayer through a confirmation from my pastor, uh, he just said one day, you know, I said, I think Rogersville would be a good place to plant a church. And just something rung in my ear that never went away. And, and we ended up here with that. What are some of the challenges that pertain to a rural community? such as the one in which you minister, as opposed to an urban community? And what are some of the benefits? Well, I guess some of the challenges here, um, we live in a town that, you know, if you're not, if you're not Baptist, a lot of times you're considered a cult. <laughs> you know, that seems to be the thing, one of the challenges. And, and another challenge is everybody in our town is saved. Uh, I mean, everybody. It doesn't matter if they've not been in a church in, in 50 years or, or whatever. It's just everybody that is around or, you know, you start talking the Bible to them and they may have never read the book and they'll turn into Bible scholars on you. You know, they, they know everything <laughs> there is to know about it and they can, they can explain it all and they know why they, you know, this is the truth because great grandma said so. And I, I guess one of the benefits uh, of it is when you start building the nucleus in the church, creating the family atmosphere tends to, to happen pretty easy after okay. you get through the first hurdles. Uh, one thing I'll say about our people and, and uh, visiting ministers that come here have, have stated the same thing. Uh, this group of people, they, they love people. Uh, they, they love people like I've never seen a church love people. And that portion of it is a great, great benefit and makes it, makes it real. That part's real easy. I'll say that. I found in uh, Memphis area, which is uh, clearly it's squarely in the bubble. I found in the Memphis area, which is uh, squarely in the buckle of the Bible Belt, yet it's a, a metro area with all types of people groups. Um, kind of have to decide whether somebody accepts the Bible as the authority of God, because how you approach them, if they're an historical Christian, uh, they do accept the 
the Bible as being normative. And so if you show it to them, they'll, they'll you know, they, they'll respond typically. But sometimes we're working with people in the metro area that just don't have any background. And that can be uh, that can be a positive thing and it can be a negative thing. You just have to know with whom you're you're dealing. I do. Uh, I do. I, I grew up in a rural community. And so uh, when you speak of your folks being naturally bonding and sort of family groups and people knowing people uh, connecting, uh, I relate to that. Uh, fun fact. um I have for three days planted seed in Rogersville in terms of the gospel. Uh, 1993, I believe, there was a youth program to canvas doors in Rogersville. So I flew from Mexico City where I was having a, uh, a business competition in college and came to Rogersville and, uh, and knocked on doors and invited to services wow. and all of that. So uh, Maybe your growth was delayed a little bit by the shadow of somebody I offended. I hope not. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I, it's such a beautiful place that it seems like the further you go in Tennessee, the prettier it gets. Such a beautiful place, beautiful people. And I'm so thankful that you and your wife and your family are, are there. You talk about the challenges of planning a church in your book and um, and how sometimes it's difficult. Um, but you also mentioned that you have received some encouragement and inspiration from participating with other church planners in forums. Uh, the United Pentecostal Church has Launch, which is a national meeting. There, there are other um, organizations such as Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ, which encourages church planners by meetings. Um, I know you participated in a meeting called Frontline, which is a, a meeting of, of Tennessee church planners. What's that meant to you to speak with other church planners and to sort of compare notes? How did that help you through the process? Well, several, several different ways. I mean, when you're, when you're going through the challenges and I went to frontline conference multiple times, it was really helpful to us to find out that our challenges were not unique. Um, you know, we had been around a while and, and the way the Tennessee Frontline Conference works, uh, they pretty much open it up. To if you've ever planted a church, you, your church can be 10 years old and they'll still allow you to come to it and be a blessing. And it was it was good to hear that some of the, I would say, false deadlines that I've set in my life. You know, we all say, well, God's going to have this happening by year three and God's going to have this happening by year five. And, and I, we failed at every one of those. Uh, we never met any of those ideas or targets that we thought. In fact, at times. You know, we we hit year five and it was worse than year two, <laughs> you know, and and when you start meeting with other church planners and you hear that that story is not uh, abnormal, it's something that, that you face as a church planner. That was really refreshing. And you talked about being on the forums. I'm I'm a part of the um, UPCI church planners Facebook group. And it kind of goes both ways. Sometimes you'll see somebody on there have great success. And at times that's motivating. And and at times you go, why not me? <laughs> you know, when you're when you're struggling with it. But there's been so much just valuable input in all of those forums that that sometimes just keep you keep you pushing on. How do we get the value of provoking one another to good works, which is, is a scriptural command, without having the detriment of comparing ourselves among ourselves, which Paul says some have erred because they're foolish. 
how do you manage that personally? You talked about the, the Facebook forums that, you know, uh, how much I tweet on Sunday night has a lot to do with what happens Sunday afternoon. So how do you, how do you, how do you deal with that personally and being encouraged and provoked good works without being discouraged or, or lifted up in pride by comparison? Yeah. Well, I kind of, I, I talked a little bit about this at our men's Bible study last night and, uh, I made the statement that Facebook's not real. Um, most people don't get on there and, and say, you know, I had a horrible day today or, you know, I, you know, I had a 50 in attendance, but I had a hundred not show up because I made them mad the week before, you know, those are usually not the, the posts that people share and people like. So I, I think just understanding that a lot of times that guy that's posted a great story, he's probably been through a hundred really difficult ones and is so excited about being able to post that great one that, that he needs that support and those likes and, and somebody resonating with them as well. And, you know, that was part of the burden of the way we wrote the book when people started telling us that, that our story needed to be told. I started saying, well, if I tell it, I'm going to tell the bad parts. I'm going to be very transparent and very real with the difficulties because, you know, you don't hear that a lot. And I think that balance is what we need. And and people, they use the word authentic and authenticity. You know, people just being real with where they are is something that, that helps people more than just the flashy posts, I guess I would say. I'm glad you mentioned the book because that's the foundation of our conversation today. Um, the, the book is, is called One More Year. It is uh, basically a decade-long testimony of faithfulness and its outcomes. But it is raw. I mean, your book doesn't read like the edited version. Um, it reads like the, the after-party conversation. It reads like yeah. the, the talk when you let your hair down. It reads like the, you know, some people say your real testimony. Um, yeah. So... Uh, did you feel vulnerable putting that out there? Did you feel like that perhaps being so honest about your frustrations might uh, uh, blow your cover and make people <laughs> not respect you as much? Because uh, you, yeah. you kind of you, you kind of say, well, sometimes I was angry with people in the church. Sometimes I yeah. was uh, frustrated with uh, my family. Sometimes I was frustrated with myself, and sometimes I was you know, a little, little ripped out with God. So uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. This is not your phrases. Yeah. You probably would have been finer theological terms. Were you scared <laughs> to put well, that out there? A few, I guess a, a few things uh, in some ways. Yeah. But the truth is the person that lived through that died through that process. And, and oh, so wow. anything that, anything that would have happened or could have been any negative ramification uh, could have that could have impacted me from releasing this it would it's not possible you can't hurt a dead man and, and i'm telling you we we died in that process and what part, what, parts, what parts you had to go what's that now what parts have you had to go what parts oh lord yeah, what, what, uh, what parts have you had to go pride uh thinking that you got you know I tell the story that, that, you know, people, some people have asked me to come preach it at some services to tell our story. And I'll tell them, you really should have got the guy 10 years ago. He knew everything. 
I mean, he was powerful. You know, he could have told you how to do foreign missions, home missions, run an organization. He could have told you how to do everything. The guy up here has no idea. He 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 just he just the only thing he got right. Uh, if, if he could say anything that put him in the position to get there, uh, would be the fact that that he stayed long enough to see it happen. That's uh, the one thing that that I think that we could say that we did. And, and writing the story, I've never written a book before. And oddly enough, writing it was almost like reliving it. Uh, the emotion of it. I mean, I wrote this thing in tears. And, and you mentioned, it's funny, you mentioned it's like the unedited version. It is. Uh, we put some of it out uh, before I was getting ready to send it to an editor. And, and I looked over it dozens of times. And people that read it that know us said, don't change it. There's some stuff in there. I know it's not worded best and stuff like that. But it is exactly how you would tell it. And that's exactly how it needs to be told. And, and, you know, so that's what we did. I love the fact that you included a number of sections from your wife because you co-authored this book. I think that often in our culture, whether that's a broader culture of society and also within the church, um, we often look to pastoral leaders, which, the majority of the time will be male, but we often miss the spousal experience, which is critical Um, where there's a team, a married team that's leading a church, obviously single people can lead, but when there is a team, that spousal experience is is so important. Um, Not only in terms of leading the church, but in terms of telling the story, what was unique about your wife's voice? Well, you say that and it's, it's, it was a burden. We both lived it. We both experienced it. And, and honestly, I tell people, my, you know, my wife, she could, she can out preach me if she wants to, you know, so her voice is very, very important to the story. And, and one of the most resonating things of comments that we've heard of people that read the book is they, we've been thanked more times than I can count that thank you for putting your wife's perspective because men and women handle things differently. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of times men and myself, you know, you mentioned it. I would handle things in anger sometimes, and she would handle the more of the emotional and the feeling part. And, and the burden of this book was to have that moment of people resonating with, man, somebody has been through a difficult time doing the work of God. And I wanted the ladies, the pastor's wife, which are often the unsung heroes uh, in ministry. I wanted them to be able to go, wow, there is someone who is feeling what I'm feeling and thinking what I'm thinking and has a story of being on the other side of it. You mentioned that some of your goals that you had set, the attainment of those was not linear. There were some three steps forward, two steps back, three steps forward, five steps back moments. Um, One of the phrases that I recall from the book, and I may not be quoting this perfectly, Greg, was that you said that, in Rogersville, the Lord didn't build one church. He kind of built three because there, you know, there were people that you, that were converted. There were people that came in, there were people that transferred or whatever. And then there would be people that leave. And so you felt like over a decade, you kind of pastored three different groups of people. Um, Was God making three churches or was he making a different you? What, what was going on now that you look back? hundred percent. He was changing us. 
a hundred percent. Um, the Lord showed me long before this, that, that as you build a church and you grow a church, you will grow with that church and you will grow as it, as it rises and falls. And, and man, we look back on the things that we went through. Every bit of it was God. Every bit of it was necessary. And every bit of it prepared us for what we have now. And what we have now is a congregation that's probably 95% brand new people. And some of the phases of this, of those congregations, they couldn't handle the things that we see now. They, you know, we see raw, real truth coming in these pews every week. People living life and, and trying to come out from horrific sin and horrific troubles. And, and honestly, a lot of, of righteous people, you know, have trouble with that sometimes. And it changed a lot in us. You mentioned as through this process, as a pastor and a leader, you began to pray about the type of people that you wanted. And you wanted people that were okay with messy restoration. Is that where you guys are now? Absolutely. Um, I can tell you uh, one of the, the props I will give Greater Vision Ministries, and I know I'm the pastor, but it's the people. I, I've seen some of the the most messed up things walk in this building and, and these people love them. And a lot of that comes from, they've been loved, they've been restored. And I feel like this is one of the safest places in ministry that I've ever seen. What was it like when you experienced challenges in your own family to have to turn around and trust the people that you had trained to help restore members of your family. Yeah. Well, I can't tell you enough. It was, this has been such a God thing. Probably, probably a real resonating story that will help answer that is when God first started doing this and it was, you've read the book, it was strictly him. Uh, There was a moment that I started going, God, uh, man, things are growing. We got to start this course. We got to start discipleship. I got to get a prayer meeting going. I, I've got to make sure this is happening. And I start thinking of all these things that, that we need to do. And literally in prayer, God spoke to me and, and said to me, you act like you had something to do with this. Whoa. And so I kind of stepped back and said, I'm just going to ride this for a little while. And things just begin to happen. And, and these people, they're, they're all so unique and new that that they love people with challenges so the fact that our family has had challenges they 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 treat them just like anybody else that would walk in the door and it has been one of the most refreshing powerful things that we've been through does that embolden and empower your ministry now that you've had those challenges or does it weaken you and scare you about the future to say well if i lift up my head here and things get to going and and uh, if we are having a counting impact and if we really are changing lives, then I'm going to attract bigger devils. Uh, you're honest in the book. Be honest now. <laughs> How does it feel? Do you kind of yeah. want to say, wow, it's OK now. Let's let's don't get above our our, our class of, of spiritual authority. Or, or are you thinking, well, the Lord brought us through that. Talk with me a little bit about what it's like to maybe take on greater leadership challenges and, and think about being a greater leadership target. 
Well, and, and that does happen, and it and it has it has happened, and there have been moments of fear. Um, you know, I'm sitting in our sanctuary right now that that has been doubled in size, and and I remember there was a moment in the old sanctuary, which was over to my right here, and it was half less than half the size of what I'm in now, and it was way back eight or nine years ago, maybe 10 that, that we'd crammed this building full. And I was thanking God for revival. And then the Lord spoke to me. And I think I put this in the book that I'm going to send all the, I'm going to send a wind and blow all the chaff away. And I was like, Oh God, no, you know, what are you doing? Well, then years later when things started growing, I didn't even realize I'd done it, but I just walked over to the platform and I was standing in the same place in the exact same place. And I was thinking, God, look at all these people and look at what you're doing. And I felt it. I re- it hit me. Oh my God, you're saying the same thing that when this whole thing blew apart and God spoke to me and said, this, this harvest shall remain. And that has been what we've held on to. And we, the prophecies and the words and stuff that have carried us through to this have continued that we are going to encounter bigger things that we are going to see more enemies. And we have, and we're going to be victorious. And the thing I put in the very end of it, God will settle every account. He's going to win. You just have to be here and stick through it on your portion and let yourself grow and change until he until he gets that final victory. We talked about challenges within your own family. We talked about challenges of those that you'd invested in that didn't complete the journey. At least with your leadership, we have hope that they'll complete the journey somewhere yeah. else. So, um but then you had a challenge there that we've all faced uh, in Christian leadership, and that's the pandemic. But that yeah. seemed to work to your guys' favor somehow. Tell us, tell our listeners a little bit about how you pivoted during the pandemic and how that became a blessing. The pandemic is the is the one more year. Uh, you know, not going into all the story, but we met in 2019 after all the hardship and said. I think we're done. And, and through prayer, God spoke and said, well, you need to give it one more year. And I'm looking back now, it's almost comical. Uh, our pastor said, well, let's just make this clean. We'll start the year in January. That way we know. And it was January, 2020. Who would have known that the year you put all your cards on the table would have been a year like, like 2020. And uh, I went to that frontline conference in February and they said that you, uh, need to, you know, one of the things you need to do is live stream your services. We never wanted to because there was no angle in our small building that you could put to make it look like anybody was here. And and I didn't want to broadcast to the world at times that we had five people here. You know, I didn't want to do that. And, but God started speaking to us and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I started planning and preparing to live stream. And the day we were going to start live stream, is the week that the pandemic hit and everybody went online. And when we went online, that was the first time that we had ever went online in service was the first service everybody had to. And we had bought all the equipment. We were prepared. We'd done tested everything. We had everything set and nobody else in the town was. Uh, And I remember I got online to see what everybody else was doing. And I started seeing posts. Sorry, guys, we couldn't get on. And and I look and it's like everybody in the town viewed our live stream. And, you know, the pastor that was knocking doors and praying and fasting and going out and teaching Bible studies is now locked in his house, just like everybody else. And God is growing this church. 
we can't even be in service. And, and we've got more people watching online than we've ever had in the building. And, and it literally, when you when I read that scripture, except the Lord build the house, I, I we are the epitome of it because we didn't phone this in. I've said in the book, we went on fasting. We've knocked almost every door in the city. We've tried every method you could imagine. And when we have to sit down in the pandemic and can't do anything, God says, now I'm going to show you I can bring revival. And, and we live stream for about two months. And then at the end of that two months, you start thinking, God, I hope. We didn't want to come back. Honestly, we didn't want to go back to in-person services. Because the first thing we've ever done to have great success, now we're going to stop. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, I was like, Lord, what happens if we go back and nobody does this? And so, but I got a realistic view. And, and I remember the first service back, we had 13. The second service back, we had like 20. And then after that, we started breaking records. And we've been doing it ever since. And honestly, I wish I could sit here and tell you, here's the plan. Here's the way we did it. But the truth is, God did it all. God did every bit of it, and he's continuing to do it. And I really feel like I'm a pastor who's along for the ride. Do you believe that some of the rewards you're receiving now were because of seeds you planted that didn't work at the time? Absolutely. Uh, one of the family members that I, I call her by name in the book, um, uh, it's Christina. She came here broken just like everybody else had. And God began to use her. And I remember for years that she would say, I've witnessed to, she's, she's a nurse. And she would say, I've witnessed to my, my doctor that I work for. I've witnessed to people in the office. I've, I've witnessed to, to patients over and over and over. And, and nothing has ever happened. And she said, is God ever going to answer prayers? Well, during 2020, a good majority of the people that have come through have been those people. The doctor she works for, he's he's one of our main members now. The the patients, uh, half the staff of our local doctor probably in their office has either been here or attends here faithful. And that's just one portion of the story. There's others of, of more. So definitely, I can tell you, prayers that were, have been prayed for years and years ago finally came up to fruition. You know... I read your book and it's, it's one more year and you guys, you, you'd, you'd had your life handed to you. And, and I mean that in a, in a negative way, it was tough. You, you, yeah. you've been beaten down and beaten up and you have this meeting with your pastor and the, the one more year didn't, I mean, as I read it, it didn't seem to be this gigantic prophetic declaration. It's going to happen. It was, let's just close this out and see. Um, so you kept doing, you know, to your mind, the same thing, staying in the same place. Um, you can define that as faithfulness, but I've also heard some people define that as insanity. Yeah. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. What's the difference between being faithful and being insane? That's a good, good question. And your your perception of the statement is correct. In fact, when I met with my son, he was the first person that I told about after the meeting. And, um, you know, I met with him and I said, well, son, I just want you to know we've decided to give it one more year. And honestly, we think it's going to be something else because why would God do it now? You know, he's not done in all this. Why would he do it now? And, and, he, <laughs> and you know, and, and he literally, he literally said, you know, I'm thankful. 
I'm thankful because I'm tired of seeing you hurt, tired of seeing you disappointed. And and he said, you you are the – my son's word, and it's great to hear your kids say this. He said, you two are the most faithful people I've ever seen, and you deserve better. And so, yeah, the resonating thought was we're – we're we're done here, and we don't think it's good. it's going to take place. But the idea, something I'd always said and hoped it was true for us. I encountered it evangelizing. Um, I would go to a church, and we'd hit it off with them. And you would see, you know, you come there one day, and they'd have twenty people in the congregation. You come back next year, and they'd have twenty. And there was, I could probably count four or five churches that one day you went back in like year four or five or, or whatever. And all of a sudden there's 150 people there. And you ask them, you know, I would always ask them, man, what happened? And, and what'd you do different? And they said, nothing, nothing. And I thought it doesn't line up with what you, what you hear. And, and I saw that four or five times. And I, I would tell my family that that's, that's my experience. And I think God gave me that experience for a reason. If we just keep, not getting weary and well-doing, it will eventually, eventually happen. And, and honestly, how do you know the difference? I, I, I can't answer that. I really I really don't know. I just know with us, eventually it won out. In reading your story, if I could presume to have one answer to the question, I mean, I guess it's whom you believe in, isn't it? I mean... Yeah. Insanity is believing in yourself that it's going to change. Yeah. I think faithfulness has to do with believing in the Lord. It's clear from reading your words and your wife's words that you, you did believe in the Lord and his ability. Yeah. Um, and as you reflect on your experience through the book, I see you consistently pointing out his sovereignty and not your effort or your sacrifice as being the key. Cause That's honestly it's, it seems like in 2020, you probably did less sacrificing, but you have more results. Yes. So it, <laughs> I think sometimes we get this idea that somehow we're the focus of the atonement. And the more that we yes. sacrifice, the more people will be saved. Uh, I, I think that's a little bit of a difference between a missionary and a martyr. I think a missionary has it right. I think a martyr has it wrong. Uh, yeah. It leads me to a, a different question. Uh, you know, you talk about you needing to change and uh, you talk about differences in leadership style and your wife's influence, things that, you know, for those of us that are trying to be in any way Christian leaders, whether that is a Sunday school class or a one-on-one -on -one Bible study, whether it's leading a mega church, a multi-site or a, a department or a ministry, how do we not become the rate limiting step in what God is doing in our lives and the lives of others? How do we not be the lid on the pot? How do we not be the yeah. bottleneck that God desires to do certain things at a certain time, but he's working around us and, and not through us? How do, how do we prevent that? You have to understand that anytime God is going to use you to do something great, it will most likely go beyond what you're familiar with and beyond what you are comfortable with. And it will probably not show up anything like you expect. I mean, the Jews missed Jesus because he didn't come, you know, as tearing down Rome and all that. He came very humble and very, very, you know, passive. And they, they missed him because of that. And if I've learned anything, when I see something strange, there's, there's things I've seen happen that I would normally crush. 
You know, well, I, we're not going to do that. Bless God. We're not going to have that. I've learned to pause and wait. And, and I, I've learned to ask questions. Hold on. Maybe this is the Lord. And more times than not, uh, I'm an aggressive person. My wife is an aggressive person. And we're always wanting to jump in and fight the issues and stuff. But in this season of our life, we've learned more and more that if you'll just wait, sometimes even the most troublesome things are, are God trying to do something. And you have to trust him to be able to wait to do that. Pretty wise religious leader in the book of Acts said something along the lines of, if it's from God, you're not going to stop it. If it's not from Absolutely. God, it'll stop itself. Absolutely. And uh, I think, I think I could use a little bit more of that spirit in my life. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, you, you can, uh, you can, you can, take a little plant that's growing, but if you, you squeeze it every day, you can squeeze life out of it. And sometimes I think yeah. my intervention is a little bit more like that. There's a difference between consultancy and consecration. You talked about the guy 10 years ago, who'd been an awesome consultant. You've got all the answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The, the, the consecrated only has one answer and it's a capital A and it's, it's, it's the Lord. Yeah. Um, I get that. I hear you. And that's, that's inspiring, but I mean, you got to make plans. You got to have a budget. How do you, how do you move forward in this season differently than you did 10 years ago? Cause you're still making plans. I know you, you've got a calendar, yeah. you've got a preaching schedule. You, you know, you've got a, you've got leadership goals. What's different now than 10 years ago? I would try to take all 10 years ago, I would try to take everything I'd seen successful, everything that I had experienced. I mean, I've, I've traveled the whole country. I've been coast to coast several times evangelizing. And I tried to take what the big churches and great churches were doing and try to mirror that, try to model that. Well, through this season, God started just speaking the vision. Here's what you need to do. And Sometimes it's things that that we we would have never thought of doing. You know, in the end of the story, I've ended the chapter, you know, the whole vision of the building we're in the process of purchasing right now. We'd have never done it. We'd have never planned to do it. We'd have never even thought about it. We couldn't afford it. There is nothing about it that that should be part of our plan. But God yet speaks to us and confirms it, that that's the thing to do. And so often what we're doing now is waiting to hear from God, waiting the direction to go. And I know that sounds sounds overly spiritual, but the truth is prior to that, we tried to do it all our way. Now we're trying our best to do it all his way. And man, it's been so much simpler and easier. I know that when you mentioned the, the live streaming and being ready, it was tremendous benefit to your church. We had sort of a similar story. I think it was in December, January, pre-pandemic, we were using Zoom, uh, not a highly technical platform or production value <laughs> platform, but we were using Zoom for our midweek, uh, we call them edify sessions, our Bible studies, because we had people that were geographically dispersed and we weren't at a point in the maturity of our life cycle of our church where people were ready to commit to an additional trip to a, a centralized facility. So we were using yeah. Zoom to get content into people's lives in a live setting. So we, you know, we pivoted with that and with YouTube when it came time for, for recorded services in the pandemic. But as we've moved out of the pandemic, I, I want to improve our experience because 
for us, we feel like we can do a decent job with the parking lot, with the facility and with greeting people. And, but on streaming or, or live services, we're not videographers. We don't have a full-time videographer. We don't have a multi-camera system. And so it just doesn't capture the experience of being in service the way that we would like to. But I find it's a tool that some will use if they're sick or frankly, if, if they don't want to make the drive in, sometimes they'll get online and be part of that service. And so it's uh, that's an example for us where one thing that we really didn't plan on using in quite that way, we, we did and we continue to. Are you guys still streaming? Are you having kind of a hybrid experience where you do both? You have a live experience and a streaming experience or are you live only? No, we've, we've seen the value of it. And we've invested a whole lot more money in equipment trying to make it better. And even in the new building plans, we're already talking that a lot of our sanctuary experience will be tailored around, you know, how the live stream looks and, and things like that, because it is exactly what you say. We, we don't even look at church attendance the way we used to. You know, I do have a count of who shows up, but I also look and see who's online. Uh, I look and see who's there. And, you know, now, we've seen the value of this. So we've taken on Monday, for example, my wife teaches a women's Bible study that's online only. I teach a men's Bible study that's online and in person. And we use that Bible study. It's more of a closed content to hit some of the more heavy subjects, you know, that a lot of the brand new folks are not quite ready for. And we stream Wednesday. Sometimes we'll stream uh, Thursday on things we do after prayer. And we stream every, every Sunday. Uh, it's very important to what we're doing now. That's the same way that we're handling some of the things ourselves. And I, th I just think we have to be, uh, we have to adapt readily to where people are and get content to them and even adapt some of our, our methodologies. You talked about the things that have worked, the things that have not, and you tried to take best practices. And I think that's wonderful. Um, but what does it mean to a local congregation when, when something's organic uh, and it grows out of, out of your people? Um, does it surprise you some of the things that work sometimes? I went to apostolic conference several years ago and Carlton Kuhn was there and he's just starting off with an icebreaker with all these church planners. And he asked the question, what's the craziest thing you've ever tried that didn't work? And I went, started thinking about it and, and I kept thinking and I looked at my wife and I said, you know, the funny thing is the crazy things that we've tried always work. <laughs> it's just the craziest, most, most odd things that we've ever attempted in the church have seemed like been the most successful and they're, they're just, just God things. And, and, you know, when you're dealing with people that are brand new to Pentecost, you have to really be open to brand new things things that are not definitely in your wheelhouse and some experiences and stuff that are different. And, and when people kind of grow up with you, it builds the buy-in that we're all looking for. It's you've been at this over a decade now in this particular ministry field and leadership uh, opportunity. What's the best thing about being a Christian leader? Um, people, uh, I, I've just, one thing that I underestimated, we're always the leader. We're always, you know, most people that get into ministry 
a lot of them in other phases of their life. They've been used to being in charge. They've been used to being the guy with the answers. They've been used to being all that. But what we experienced was going through the process of people hurting us and people disappointing us and just everything with people almost to the point that we got to where we couldn't stand people for a season. And then God turning around and sending us people that would love us, care for us, and respect us. And having the people that you are trying to help actually in turn be part of your restoration in faith in what God's doing has been one of the most refreshing, powerful things I have ever been through. I vividly recall one night, Greg, when we were our first attempt to secure uh, a building of our own lease, not own, but a, a place where we could, you know, it was ours 24 seven. Our first attempt, we got about 10 days from move in, but we had a, a zoning issue that prevented us from moving in. And our people had spent hundreds of hours working. Yeah. This is in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, the pain in their hair, the sheetrock dust in their lungs, everything. And I had to make phone calls that night to families and say, hey, right now this is not going to work. And I felt really, really low. Uh, yeah. Cause this wasn't somebody hurting me. It would have been a lot. I don't know. Maybe it'd be easier to deal with. This was, yeah. I felt like it was my problem. Uh, and, and in many ways, uh, you know, I, I was at the spearhead of some of the decision-making. So, uh, you know, we didn't have a building consultant. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, I remember on that phone call, one of our men that had worked so hard, he said, uh, we didn't do this for you. We did it for the Lord. And I remember another man said, well, this means that something better is going to happen. And every person on that phone call responded in a way, rather than pointing fingers, they were so busy trying to lift me up and encourage me. And uh, I remember our, our overseeing elder, Pastor Ellingsworth, told me, he said, you know, you got to go through some of these times to understand if people believe in you when you don't succeed. Yeah. It was probably one of the most profound leadership lessons I've learned. Uh, the tuition was expensive. I would have rather learned it another way. <laughs> yes, but, sir. Yes, sir. But I, I, I learned that people believe in the cause and not necessarily my proficiency. And that's important because sometimes I get that confused. I'm sure you never, you never do. You're probably better than I am at that, but sometimes oh, we do. No. I ask you what the best thing was. Uh, what's the worst thing about being a Christian leader? Um, I think you ask that question to a hundred people, you'll get a thousand different answers. Uh, but to me, the difficulty of maintaining your joy in serving God within the pressure of all the demands of ministry, probably one of the biggest challenges. Cause you know, we all got in this thing because God loved us. And we loved him in return. And it was just such a privilege and a blessing. And somewhere along the way, sometimes when you go through hardship and difficulty, that weight and pressure of, of leading and performing and making it happen can make you drift from that. And, and just, just honestly fighting that, fighting that is one portion I, I hate, I don't care for, because you all get, everybody gets in places that, you know, the day wasn't as bright today as it was yesterday. 
and the devil jumps on you and goes, well, look, look what all you've gave up. Look what all you've done, Matt. Just, just when the enemy tries to put distance between the serving and the joy of serving, I, I, that's the portion I hate and I fight it. I, I fight it and sometimes I do good and sometimes I don't. Well, that leads into my final question, or at least the final question I have prepared is yeah, uh, yeah. how do you, how do you prevent burnout? Uh, you guys, You've invested in people. Um, some of those people are not part of your team at this time. Uh, you've had family go through struggles, and you've seen victory in those circumstances. You've, you've been high, low, and in between. How do you how do you not how do you not lose it? How do you how do you continue to to have joy? We we had David Myers on, and he you know he wrote a whole book about it. But how how do you yeah. personally? not burnout. Yeah. Well, I added a, a chapter, you know, in the book on burnout because we did go through it. And one of the, one of the blessings of going through burnout is the next time you can see it coming, you know? So I think sometimes if you've never been through it, you need to trust people's experiences who have, because uh, I remember I've read books on, you know, the guy that I talked about 10 years ago that knew everything. I'd read books on burnout and I would think, well, that guy's just not spiritual. You know, he don't pray enough. He don't know what he's talking about. And boy, when I went through it, I come to find out that's not, not true. So what we do, and we found this, when you're a church planner in a city, you're not, you don't have the background of a hundred years of prayer and fasting in the city. You don't have that. You, you, what's here and what's happened, it probably started with you or maybe a little before. And we have found that, just sometimes if you just get away, I mean, go outside your county lines, go drive to the next city, go eat at a restaurant that's not in town. Sometimes it's, you can, it's like you can feel the devils, they just leave you. And the ones that are up there don't know you as good as the ones that are in the town that you're in. So we practice, you know, if you follow my Facebook page, People have seen, you know, last year especially, we took a lot of big trips, but what they don't know is we study that and we have found how to take trips cheap. You know, I mean, I remember we got on a Legionnaire last year, and not to advertise for them, but, but we flew three people down there and back for about $400 and only stayed three days. And, you know, we left on Sunday after church and come back Wednesday before church and didn't miss a thing. And, man, getting away from, you know, I really believe the prince of your city the spirits and the devils of your city have their eyes on you. So getting away from them sometimes is essential to avoiding that. I think there's a, there's wisdom in that just to even above the spiritual aspects of principalities and powers. You know, when you're in town, you always think of the three things you didn't do. And I need to run by the post office and, uh, You know, sometimes when I sit down for prayer, it may be the first time I've been still in a while. And so a thousand things come to mind. And so, uh, you know, being able to write those things down instead of worry with them while you're supposed to be praying is, yeah. is helpful. Um, what do you want people to take from your book? I mean, you got it out of you because you felt like you needed to write it. and You felt yeah. it was important. So now that you've expelled it from your system, what do you, what do you want somebody to gain from it? What do you What do you want to be the take home or the or the blessing? I think the burden that that I felt when I wrote it, God spoke to me before we ever started going through 
the good side of it, that in every war that's ever been down through time, it doesn't matter where you look in history, there was two, there's basically two ways to, to win a war. And one of them is you just completely decimate the other side that they don't even exist anymore. Or you just are willing to fight longer than the other people are. Well, when you're talking about serving God and doing the ministry, they, hell can't decimate what God wants to do. He can't stop the kingdom of God. We know that. So you just have to be willing to wait and outlast what hell's trying to do. And I feel like that's what we did. And I feel like that book, uh, you know, I'll get carnal, carnal for you here just a minute. But during the middle of all this, I was at a UT football game. Uh, Brother Chester, shout on that. But uh, I was at a UT football game and I had seats right in the end zone. And they intercepted the ball on the other side. And the Tennessee guy that intercepted was running right toward where I was at in the end zone. And I'm not even thinking, but I'm sitting there with my hands going, come on, come on, keep coming. And people are atta- you know, trying to tackle him. And I'm saying, keep coming. And God spoke to me and said, that's what I'm saying to you. Oh, wow. That's what I'm saying to you. And wow. I broke down in tears right there in the middle. People probably thought I was crying because we finally scored, but <laughs> that wasn't the thing. But God said, that's what I've been saying to you. So what I want to get out of this book is I want somebody to read it and get the idea that there's somebody at the other side of it going, come on. Just keep coming. I know they're trying to tackle you. I know they're trying to knock you down. But if you'll just keep coming a little bit longer, you've got the promises of God. You've got a God that called you. you got a God that set you there. He didn't set you there to fail. You just need to keep coming. Keep coming. And you want if you're not weary and well-doing, you're going to reap in due season. If you faint not, if you don't quit. That's the measure we have. Don't give up. Don't quit. It's the only way you lose the battle is you quit. I've told this story so many times that our local folks are probably, they can probably recite it themselves, but uh, I just, and it may be apocryphal. I I can't verify the the veracity of this story, but uh, they say that when Charlton Heston was chosen to play the title role in Ben-Hur, that he went to the director and he said, "I, I read that you have a, a chariot race in here and I'm supposed to win this chariot race. And of course that's one of the most famous movies scenes of the yeah. 20th century. Uh, what a spectacle. But the, he said, I, I've never been in a chariot. I don't know how to drive a chariot and I sure can't win a chariot race. And uh, as the story goes, the director supposedly said, Mr. Heston, you're a wonderful actor, but I'm the director you stay in the chariot and I'll see to it that you win the race. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think my problem is Greg, that I, I probably worry too much about how I'm standing and how I'm using the reins and <laughs> trying to encourage the horses on and whether I grease the wheels properly or whether my chariot's painted the right color. The truth is if we really believe what we say, we believe, Yes, sir. Our director is going to see to it that we win the race if we endure to the end. Absolutely. I'm so moved by that. I was blessed by your testimonies. I read it. I've been further blessed today by your recounting of your testimony. And I, in this 
makeshift studio today as we talk and as I listen to you, I feel the moving of the Spirit of God. I just wonder for anyone that is perhaps a little discouraged today or has taken a few hits and they've heard this testimony and they go and read your book one more year. I just wonder if you would pray for those of us that uh, have found that it's not all victory, 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 victory. There are a few defeats along the way or concerns. I wonder if you pray for us today and ask the Lord to encourage and strengthen those who are attempting to serve him. Uh, He chose us. If he wanted perfect beings, he could use the angels, but he uses us. So here we are. Uh, Pray for his church, Greg. Pray for his leader. Yes, sir. I'll say this as I do. I I remember sitting in an altar right over to my left, surrounded, looking around by people, and something just happened. I don't remember what it was, but it was another thing that God promised that we waited years, and it just happened. And My wife came over to me in tears. And I said, God spoke this to me. And I said, God will settle every account. Yes. He will settle every account. You just have to make sure you're there when it happens. And I I think I would tell everybody that. And I'll pray that, Lord, you see somebody, God, that the accounts are not balanced. Lord, that there's been more failure, been more difficulty, and been more opposition than there has victory. But God, we know, Lord, that you take your time. We know, God, that you do things in a way differently than we do, and your ways are above our ways. And God, I pray, Lord, that you give us grace and understanding, God, that you would speak to people that, Lord, are in that balance, that are wondering, God, is it ever going to be in my favor? Are you ever going to turn it around? God, that you would give them a little bit of light, Lord, right now, that you would show them, God, just like you did me, God, that you would give them some clues, God, that you're still working, you're still moving. Lord, I'm asking you, God, just to minister to them, Father, and give them favor. Lord, you called them. You put them there, God. And maybe, God, you're taking them through a process that they need to understand. They can't do it. It's going to be you, Jesus. It's going to be you. So, God, I'm asking you, Lord, to shed that light upon them, God. Show them, Lord, that they can win if they just don't give up, God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank Thank you, you, Lord. Well. Thank you, Jesus. It has been so good to be enriched by this conversation today. I want to thank you and your wife for opening your experience and your life to those of us who have been privileged to read the book. I want to thank you for your steadfastness in remaining in the city of Rogersville and your county to <laughs> wear out the devils that are trying to wear out you. <laughs> yes, sir. And, uh, yes, sir. I, I want to, I want to thank you for taking time today for those of our listeners. I, I had some difficult technical difficulties and, Brother Marshall was so patient and kind while I rebooted and, and re-equipped during this, during this conversation. So he has given more today than I have. So, uh, <laughs> as, as our producer, Brother Chester. So thank you so much for listening. AR community. We want to continue to bring you content that not only is challenging and inspiring, but encouraging and convicting. And we pray today that the power of the Holy spirit moves within you to provoke you to greater works and the works that God has prepared for you to do, that Ephesians 2 will follow Acts 2 in your life and that the kingdom of God will come to your city, your county, 
and this world through your faithfulness. It takes one more year, one more day, or one more decade, or one more century, whatever it takes, that God's best will come through you. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and give us a review. For more information about the Apostolic Review, please visit apostolicreview.com.